clones. I want to talk to you about a brand new sponsor for our daily podcast. It's called Thrive Market. How would you like to shop for organic groceries without paying top dollar? You can bypass those overpriced local markets and shop at Thrive Market, a revolutionary online marketplace on a mission to make healthy living easy and affordable for everybody. Thrive Market is stocked with thousands of the best-selling non-GMO foods and natural products, always at 25 to 50% below traditional retail prices. They've got everything you need, whether your diet is paleo, gluten-free, vegan, kosher. Hey, let me tell you something. Let me tell you why you do not want to run out to the store tonight. Three NBA playoff games, two NHL playoff games. Do you really want to gas an hour at the market when you can shop on thrivemarket.com instead? Didn't think so. Thrive Market's prices are already up to 50% off. And now, they're giving you an extra $60 in free groceries plus free shipping. Get $60 of free organic groceries plus free shipping and a 30-day trial. Go to thrivemarket.com slash Rome. Thrivemarket.com slash Rome. Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Uh, Let me start first with Game 2. Before Game 2 of the Cavaliers and the Pacers, Cavs head coach Ty Lue challenged LeBron James to be, quote, aggressive, set the tone early, end quote. So, message heard, message received. Here is the written play-by-play of scoring in the first three and a half minutes of that game. LeBron makes a 12-foot pull-up jumper. LeBron makes a two-point shot. LeBron makes a 17-foot two-point shot. LeBron makes a 28-foot three-pointer. LeBron makes 17-foot two-point shot. LeBron makes a two-foot two-point shot. So at 829 of the first quarter, the score was LeBron 13, Indiana, and the other Cavs nothing. The Pacers make a free throw. That makes it 13-1. to LeBron hits a three, stretching his lead to 15 over the Pacers and his teammates before Indiana finally makes his first bucket of the game. Kevin Love finally gets on board for the Cavs. 16 points in five minutes. All right, again, 16 points in five minutes. The most LeBron has ever scored in the first five minutes of a game in his career. So what that was, was LeBron James in cheat mode. Really, LeBron James in LeBron mode. Going out and absolutely dominating that game and putting the team on his back and carrying them to a 15-point lead five minutes in. That's why he wasn't panicking about being down 1-0 in the series. Because this guy can still erase a deficit in a series or in a game literally all by himself. He did it again last night. In the postseason, in a must-win game, the guy can still do this. So now it is 1-1, heading back to Indy. So if I were LeBron, I wouldn't be packing for Indy. After what I saw last night, if I were LeBron, I would not be packing for Indy. I would be packing for Philly or L.A., or Houston, or wherever this guy's going to play next season. Why? Because he's... Why? Why? Because he staked his team to a 15-point lead, and they still almost lost. That's why. He stakes his team to a 15-point lead in the first half. He had one of the best games of his entire career, and he had to kill himself to do it, and they still nearly lost. 
16 in the first five minutes, 29 in the first half, 46 for the game, and it still nearly was not enough. You know, like, it's been real, guys, and it's been fun. Well, actually, it hasn't been fun. In fact, right now, it kind of sucks. One thing for me to get all of you on my back and drag you up and down the floor all night long to beat Golden State in the finals. Quite another to have to do it in our own barn in the first round against the Pacers. 46 points, 12 rebounds, 5 assists, 2 steals, one of the all-time great playoff performances. A night where you're watching it and you're thinking, man, damn I'm lucky to see this. We're all witnesses, except that's exactly how you describe what his teammates were last night. Witnesses reaching for the popcorn so they can tell everybody where they were the night LeBron went off for 46 and 60 in the first five minutes. Yeah, and where they were, where they were was standing around watching him and not lifting a damn finger. Because that huge performance was nearly for nothing because the guys around him essentially did nothing. Aside from Larry Nance Jr. spiking this Trevor Booker shot. Trying to set it up down low for Trevor Booker. Oh, it's rejected. In the words of Dennis Scott, this guy has pogo sticks and he got them from his father. Thanks to TNT for that. I mean, that pretty much was it for the rest of the Cavs. Kevin Love had 15 and 8 and a busted thumb. So that's great. Kyle Korver had 12, and then it was a lot of nothing. George Hill, 6. Jose Calderon and Rodney Hood, 5 points each. Nance, Jeff Green, Jordan Clarkson, 2 points each. Tristan Thompson, DNP. Coach's decision. I mean, honestly, you could slap a DNP on a bunch of other guys, even if they were on the floor, because there is a difference between being on the floor and actually playing. J.R. Smith actually got the start last night and then pretty much did nothing with it finishing with five points, but at least he had a great quote. Quote, I was kind of pissed that I only had five shots, honestly. Of course you were, Swish. Of course you were. That's why I love you. That's why we all love you, including this guy. So nice. But in his defense, in Swish's defense, he did ball up on defense, and his coach Ty Lue noticed that. He's not scared to hit people. You know, you got to hit people in this league. It's not a, it's a contact sport, you know, and guys have to understand and realize that. Right. It is a contact sport. It's also a sport with five guys from each team on the floor, or at least that's how it's supposed to be in this case. But last night was another one of those nights where LeBron had to do it all by himself. If I'm Indiana, I'm pissed that I blew a chance to go up 2-0 going back home, but I'm feeling pretty good about myself because LeBron just went LeBron in a game where Vic Oladipo was in foul trouble, and they still nearly ripped it from the Cavs. So, what I'm saying is, LeBron plays the game in God mode. He leads everybody in points, rebounds, and minutes, and Oladipo still had a chance to tie that game with less than 30 seconds left. And you know who got the rebound on that miss, right? LeBron. Because, of course... I haven't seen a team this reliant on one guy since, well, since LeBron took a team with Larry Hughes, Bobby Gibson, Eric Snow, Drew Gooden, and Big Z to the NBA Finals. And if I were LeBron last night, I would have just jogged right off the court, headed home, and started to pack my bags. And nobody would blame him. He just played his bleep off, and that crew nearly blew it forget winning a championship this year if this team reaches the finals 
No, scratch that. If this team gets out of this series, LeBron should get another banner because I'm starting to think that team with Big Z and the fellas was better than this team. In fact, I know that team was better than this team. And give that guy a banner if they get out of the first round. Booby. Booby. Big Z. Larry Hughes. Booby. Booby. Brent Barry is my guest. Brent, good morning. What's up? How are you? Hey, Romy. How are you? Long time, uh, but uh, hoping you're well, and, and thanks for a couple of minutes here. I appreciate it. No, Brent, thank you for a couple of minutes. I'm doing great. I hope you and yours are, too. You're on the call for Game 2 of the Blazers-Pelicans. Brent, how impressed? Let me start with the Pelicans themselves. How impressed have you been with the way New Orleans has shown up in this series on both ends of the floor? Yeah, I think the first thing that I think about uh, – after game one was the anomaly that was three points for Lillard and McCollum. I mean, it's just something that has never happened and probably probably will never happen again. And New Orleans did a great job of just taking advantage of an opportunity to, to seize control of the series. But game two, as much as people like to use the cliche about stealing games, which doesn't happen, uh, game two, what New Orleans was able to do and the way that they were able to go about it was really impressive just controlled the tempo controlled the pace forced portland to play a lot sooner and quicker in the shot clock which leads into their hands because they lead the league in pace uh and drew holiday by the way is introducing himself to the national stage to let people know just how good he is and how good he's been this season he was fantastic drew holiday's been amazing so far this portion of the Daily Jungle brought to you by my pals at Casper. Now, when you get a good night of sleep, you're going to have energy. And when that happens, you're going to feel good. In fact, you'll feel awesome. And that's why you need to be sleeping on a Casper mattress like I am every single night. You see, the Casper mattress combines multiple supportive memory foams to give you that great sleep. You spend one-third of your life sleeping, so you better be comfortable. Its breathable design lets you sleep cool. Now, here's something I didn't know. It regulates your body temperature throughout the night. And let me tell you, there are lots of people raving about their Casper mattress. More than 20,000 others love their Casper mattress, giving it an average rating of 4.8. You cannot argue with results like that. And here's yet another reason. The price will not keep you up at night. You can also order sheets and pillows that will give you the complete Casper experience. Why is it so affordable? Because Casper cuts out the middleman and delivers straight to you. You can be sure of your purchase with Casper's. And you can be sure of your purchase with Casper's 100-night risk-free sleep-on-a-trial. Right now, for my listeners, you can get 50 bucks towards select mattresses by visiting casper.com jungle. Terms and conditions do apply. Once again, to save that money, go to casper.com jungle. Promo code jungle. Brent Barry joins us. Now, if you're Terry Stotts and you're the Blazers, what is the most important thing you're looking to do right now to get back in this thing? I think, Jim, what's been a little curious is that Shabazz Napier had played 55 games this year and had a remarkable run when it was that Damian Lillard had a hamstring injury in the middle of December. Napier came in, averaged 14 points, sort of headed up the offense, and then they got to a point in the second half of the year when they really started rolling during that 13-game streak where Napier would play alongside McCollum and Lillard. And Napier didn't get off the bench in Game 2, played very sparingly in Game 1. Uh, and, and I wonder if Terry Stotts is just considering what kind of minutes he could give to Napier, especially if New Orleans plays a lineup where all of a sudden they go to 
Darius Miller at the point guard. Certainly could play off of Rondo and force him to shoot, but it's a card that he hasn't played yet, and it's one that they played a lot during the regular season. So maybe a little more quickness, a few more angles, and force some mismatches on New Orleans, at least defensively, where Lillard then slides over to the three, or McCollum's at your three, basically, in the three-guard lineup. Um and he tries to do something that way. All right, Brent, shift over to the Cavaliers for a minute, if you would. Ty Lue said in the build-up to game two that LeBron had to be a lot more aggressive, so LeBron goes out there. <laughs> he scores 60 in the first five minutes. It yeah. turns in that vintage LeBron performance, so I guess that was more yeah. aggressive. What do you make, though, Brent, of this guy doing things like that 15 yeah. years in? Yeah, it's, it's mind-boggling to think that you keep talking about, well, LeBron's going to have to have one of those games, and he, he goes out and he has one of those games. Um, and the guy is just, I mean, he really is remarkable and, and should be uh, appreciated for what it is that he's not only doing now, but what he's done in the league. I guess the curious part, Jim, you got to think about is how, how much investment does the Cleveland Cavalier roster, the way it's constructed right now, how much of an investment do they have in what it is that's at stake for this season, LeBron, Ty Lue, trying to get back into the finals again, not having the time they've had together, making a mid-season shift, and really not having practice time and having Kev Love in the fold because of the hand injury, how much can they get accomplished? Because on the other side of the things, you see exactly how Nate McMillan is treating his team, a team that had a training camp, a team, a, a team that knows where it's built on, Oladipo's efforts and athleticism and Sabonis's rebounding and Miles Turner's versatility. They're just digging into more of what it is that they've been about this year and the Cavs, in a game two, had to just go back to the, in case of emergency, break LeBron glass. <laughs> and that's, that's problematic for the rest of, you know, your rest of your series run. If you get out of this one and you're trying to get through the East, is, yeah, LeBron can do it. But how many times, honestly, how many times can he pull it off? And I know better than to say that they had a chance to steal that game because, as you said, Brent, you can't steal games, and especially this time of year. But even no. though Depot had that look at that three-point shot late uh, in that game, they would have tied it. All right, yeah, so, I think we were all shocked he missed it. You know, right. like he's been so good, like couldn't believe that he missed it. But uh, yeah, like I said, Indiana showing itself, showing it's a, a fighting team. That Nate's done a good job. He has their ear, and they're playing with a tremendous amount of effort behind the leadership of Oladipo. And they've taken on Nate's personality, to be sure. Brent Berry joining us. Brent, what about Oklahoma City? They win the series opener, then they lose game two in Utah last night. And one of the talking points all year long has been whether OKC's big three of Westbrook, George, and Anthony would be able to flip the switch in the postseason. You've done this. So where do you come out on this notion of the switch? Does it really exist? Can you just turn it on when you have to, Brent? Or is it something that you have to develop over the course of the season? Yeah, I don't believe it's even a season thing, to be honest with you, Jim. I think a, a flip switching happens when you've got a team that's had three and four years of experience, where they've been somewhere together, where they collectively have been scarred up a little bit, and then collectively have come back from that. And so I don't put OKC in that, uh, in that category whatsoever. OKC is a puncher's chance team, and if they have to rely on somebody going nuts, which is most of the time going to be Westbrook, or in game one, it's Paul George setting a playoff record. We were there for that game. He knocked down eight threes, four of which were incredibly difficult, and they just rode the wave of that. And you could kind of see the Utah Jazz and Quinn Snyder going, eh, all right, if it's going to be one of those things where we've got to have record-setting performances to beat us, we'll take it because we'll be back for game two with our defense, and we know Donovan Mitchell will be better in game two, and he was pretty darn good in game one. 
and we know that Favors is going to show up, which he did in Game 2. And then we'll take this thing back to Utah, where we're very good at home. So um, OKC has to get a little more technical. It's something we've been talking about all year in terms of execution. And the, the question is, can they do it against the one team that they did not want to face, at least what they represent defensively in the Utah Jazz? Brent Barry joins me for another moment or two. Brent, of course, you played for Greg Popovich in San Antonio. So what was your reaction when you heard the very sad news of the passing of his wife, Erin? Yeah, I appreciate you uh, bringing that up, Jim. I was going to bring it up myself if we didn't get to it. And I have to tell you, living here in San Antonio, it's it's been a very somber uh, day and a half. Uh, so I, well, the news was yesterday morning, but 24 hours at least here. And you know the way this town operates, Jim. San Antonio, one-horse town. The Spurs are everything to this community. Um, and they believe so much in Pop and what Pop represents because Pop goes out and gets these people that represent the community well. And I would just tell you that somewhere when Pop goes home from practice or a road trip, what he's going home to ends up being part of what it is that he represents the next day, and that is Aaron Popovich. He was one of the sweetest, most kind, most generous women that have ever been around, always there for the team, kind of like a team mom in a sense because it's such a collegiate atmosphere here. And, and I'm not making light of this at all. Pop would tell you the same thing. We all appreciated her so much because if you got somebody that could put up with Pop, that, that's got to be a pretty special person. And uh, Aaron was definitely that. So she, she will be missed here. I know Pop is not coaching the game tonight, which uh, obviously is very appropriate. But uh, heavy hearts in San Antonio, and uh, she will be greatly missed. And we'll support Mickey and Jill, the, the, their children, uh, during this time, and certainly the community outreach, outreach for, for Pop will be there. Absolutely, and I appreciate your thoughts on that. Brent Brent Barry is going to join Ian Eagle on the call of Game 4 between the Blazers and the Pelicans Saturday at 5 p.m. Eastern on TNT, and TNT is all over our playoff coverage. Brent, great to have you on the show. Thanks so much. Always look forward to it, and always good to have you on the show. Yeah, thanks, Romy. If you need me again, let me know, and have a great day. Great talking with Adam as well. Go Sonics. Bones, you're the best. Thanks so much. I mentioned quick name association, right? So when I say Jason Garrett, what comes to mind? Ready? Jason Garrett. 8-8, clapping, ginger lettuce, boring, bland, puppet. Listen, the constant debates about whether or not this guy should be fired. Any of these things, right? But I'll tell you what does not come to mind. When I mention that guy, the one thing that does not come to mind is awesome motivational speeches. Because Jason Garrett, the coach, does not have a great reputation as Jason Garrett, the coach. I mean, Jerry Jones loves him. But he's really spent about seven and a half seasons being on a seat that has gone back and forth from warm to hot to warm again. But apparently, this is all about to change. And I think we're going to see this guy in a totally different light because of Amazon's latest season of All or Nothing. It's about the Dallas Cowboys. And the true star of the show, apparently, the true star of the show about the star, Jason Garrett. Yeah, I know that sounds like some kind of cheesy tease. Not to be confused with my tease on the high holiday. There's nothing cheesy about that. That's an awesome tease coming up later on. You know, kind of like the star of the show about the star, Jason Garrett, as you've never seen him before. However, if reports are true, this really is Jason Garrett as we've never seen him before. Hell, if it's Jason Garrett as an interesting person, 
That would be the Jason Garrett that we have never seen before. If it's Jason Garrett with any kind of personality at all, that would be the Jason Garrett that the public has never seen before. Now, don't get me wrong. This guy's really smart. We know this. But from a personality standpoint or a presence standpoint, this guy's like barely toasted bread and room temperature milk. You know, just a big ball of meh. But based on the early reports about this series, which is soon to drop, I'm already fired up. Here is a quote from Jason Garrett addressing the Cowboys before the start of last season. Quote, the most successful people in life, they have an edge. They have a bleep you attitude. If you don't have an edge, you can't compete at the highest level, period. Go do something else. End quote. Of course, there is no bleep on that show. He says it. I mean, that's like hearing Mr. Rogers drop an F-bomb. Maybe a little heads up before you roll out and start dropping F-bombs, Jay. Maybe a little heads up before you start rolling out and just start F-bombing cats up and down the street. I mean, we know what we're going to get when Fred Rogers shows up rocking that sweater. There's an expectation, and the expectation is not that he is going to start dropping four-letter bombs. A bleep-you attitude. You need a bleep-you attitude. It's pretty strong and pretty surprising at that, coming from Jason Garrett. He's pretty much like the last guy that I would expect to go all X-rated Dale Carnegie on us. Now, in fairness, he did tip his cards when he did get a little loose back at a presser way back in the day. You know, you talk about competitors. He's one of the great natural competitors I've ever been around. He f- he loves it. This guy sounds like Larry Robinson. We got a bunch of... Jason Carroll went all Larry Robinson with it. I know coaches. I know coaches who can't communicate at all with anybody without F-bombing them. I just didn't think that Princeton's finest was one of them. But apparently he is. He laid into the offense after a lackluster performance against Denver in week two. Quote, it was soft as hell. The foundation of this program is the word fight. I don't care who we play, when we play, where we play. We're up 100. We're down 100. We're going to bleeping fight. We're going to fight. We're going to fight. We're going to fight. We're going to bleeping fight. Whoa, easy, JG. Slow down a little. My man's gone from the most boring PG and G movie ever, and now he's going R and a hard R on everybody. I haven't seen that kind of obscene passion from a coach since Rex Ryan was looking for something to eat. Let's make sure we play like the fucking New York Jets and not some fucking slap team. That's what I want to see tomorrow. Do we understand what the fuck I want to see tomorrow? Let's go to eat a goddamn snack. You haven't heard anything like that since that. Look, you can talk to any legendary F-bomber, and they will tell you. It's not enough to have that one gear when it comes to profanity. You've got to have different gears. You have to have different tools in that profane toolbox. You've got to be able to use it in different ways. And so far, what have we seen from Garrett? We've seen the motivational F-bomb. We've seen the angry F-bomb. So the question is, does Red have another gear? Can he take it to another level? And come to find out, the answer is, yes, he does. 
In one moment on the sideline, Des Bryant has just fumbled, and Garrett is talking to him. Quote, hey, bleep it, bleep it, and go play. Pro football, bad things happen. Wow, it's amazing. There it is. This is exactly what I'm talking about. This guy does have every tool in the F-bomb toolbox, the motivational F-bomb, the angry F-bomb, and now the empathetic, comforting F-bomb. I have never been more impressed with Jason Garrett than I am right now. He just went from being one of the most boring people ever to a dude that I want to sit down with and crush a few beers with. Well, in fact, I actually did that once. Well, we didn't crush beers, but we did sit down at the same bar, a few bar stores away. Kyle Brandt and I did. And we did our best to try and chop it up with the coach and his wife. And I will say he was very pleasant. He was very nice. And he was boring as hell. But clearly, he was saving his A game for somebody other than me. Because come to find out, not only is this guy not the most boring puppet in the world, he's got crazy it. And that it is a truck full of F-bombs that he's looking to unleash on an unsuspecting world. Boring dude or best dude? A full heel turn, and I cannot wait to see this series and this dude in action. I was all wrong about you, Red. I was all wrong about you. Let it ride, Red. Let it ride. (laughs) Trevor Williams of the Pirates is my guest. Trevor, it's great to have you on. How are you? Hey, Jim, all's well on my end. Good. It's great to have you on. Trevor, the team is off to a great start. You personally have had a really strong start, so let me start right there. What has been the biggest difference for you from last year to this year, and how proud are you of the way that you've gotten out? Um, I think the biggest difference is the year of experience. Um, I'm, a, I'm a big believer in, you know, experience is the best developer. Um, I got I got punched in the mouth a few times last year with, with some bad starts and, you know, learning from that. And carrying it over start to start is, is huge. So, um, you know, I'm proud, of, I'm proud of the way that we're off to a great start. You know, I think um, going into this season, there were a lot of question marks. So I'm glad that we're, uh, we're surprising some people and uh, we're playing some great baseball. Trevor Williams, my guest. You know, he didn't put it the way you just put it, but Clint Hurdle said something about that. He said, quote, this man has a field of pitch beyond his years. He identifies what's working, how it's working, what's not working, and he goes, end quote. It's really high praise for a young pitcher. What's it mean to hear that from your manager? Um, it's great. You know, we've, we've had uh, two years now um, under our belt with a relationship, so he knows how, um, how I work, and um, he knows that he can trust me now. And, you know, the biggest thing as, as a rookie pitcher is to earn the trust of your manager um, so you can go deeper into games. There were some times last year where, um, you know, that wasn't able to happen, but now that we have that relationship built and, you know, the, the consistency that I've shown that we're, we're able to go deeper into games. And, um, you know, I don't have the sexiest stuff as, as a pitcher, and I have to, you know, really identify what's working and, and how I can get some big league, big league hitters out. Trevor Williams, my guest. You know, in the offseason, all the talk was about the Cubs, the Brewers, but there you are leading the Central. It's early, but you are on top right now. So what was the vibe like back in spring training, and when did you get the sense that this team could be, if not a special team, and it might be that, but certainly better than everybody thought? Um, you know, it was coming into spring training. We all kind of sat down as, as a team, and, and we had to kind of come together. You know, we, we had some key departures that, that uh, during the offseason for us and you know, a lot of teams in the Central um, we're getting big name guys, whether it was a free agent signing or some big uh, trade acquisition or um, big trades. So it was, 
it's one of those things where we just had to come together as a team. And you know what? It's, it is what it is. We have a good team in this clubhouse right now, and, and it's been showing. Uh, we played well in spring training, and it's, it's carried over into the season. So as you post on Instagram, this trip to Philly is Dad's trip, 2018. And I want to go back a yeah. little bit to your first Major League win. Your dad, Richard, was there, and you gave him the ball afterwards. And if you've seen the video, it's hard not to get emotional. What do you remember about that game and that moment? You know, that moment is it's very special for us. It was, it's obviously really raw. Um, you know, my wife and, and baby were at that game as well as my brother and my uncle. And, you know, the, all the, you know, all the hours that my dad has taken me to baseball games, driven me all over the country and, and all the, you know, the countless hours of, of practice, it all came down and it was all worth it for that moment. Even if, even if that was only going to be my only experience in the big leagues, you know, all that, all that training, all that sacrifice was worth it at that moment. And, uh, it was just really raw. It's something that we're never, we're never going to forget as a family. Hey, Trevor, can I tell you, being a father now, I've got two kids, two sons, 17 and 13. They both play travel ball. I've got one son in high school baseball. I've got such a greater appreci- appreciation for that moment than I ever would have. I mean, I, we could talk for hours about what that one single moment made, that your family made that sacrifice, that you made those sacrifices, that you got through, that you won that game. I mean, it's an amazing thing. Like, your dad's a Padre season ticket holder, and he started taking you games right after you were born. He'd bring you in a car seat. Now that the two of you have a pregame catch on a major league field, yeah. <laughs> like like what is that like? It's it's wild, you know. It's it's both of our dreams, really. You know, I have my major league dream, and, and he had his his through mine, through me. So it, it's it's you know a culmination of everything that we we've gone through as a family. Um, that that moment was especially raw for us because he was still going through cancer. So there's you know there's there's layers of this of the context of what was what was going on in that moment during that snapshot of, you know, like of our family. But uh, um, it, it's a moment I will never forget. You know, it's a moment that you dream of when your first uh, big league appearance. But, you know, there, there's nothing that can prepare you for for that embrace afterwards and, and just, you know, having everything come together. And we knew all was right in the world uh, in that moment. Trevor Williams joining us. Great, great moment. We've got a station in San Diego, 97.3, the fan where they're the Padre station. And you were a huge Padre fan, huge Padres fan growing up. What is some of your memories from going to Padres games? And who was your guy? Who was your Padre? Um, we went to so many. We went to so many Padres games. Like you said, we have family, uh, family season tickets, and my dad still goes to you know, every game he can at home. Um, I grew up watching Trevor Hoffman and Tony Gwynn, but my favorite, my favorite Padre of all time is Ken Caminiti. So I would remember him throwing the ball across the diamond from his knees. I'd see him snapping bats over his leg. Um, there were fun teams to watch. Um, and I, I'm still a fan. I'll still keep up. Um, you know, there, there were some big, uh, big offseason moves for them, but, uh, but you know, it's, it, the, being a San Diego Padre fan was great growing up and, uh, I had a great time and I fell in love with the game that way. Trevor Williams joins us. You know, I, I always say this, Trevor, I, I can't play favorites because I've got a job to do. i got to be objective. Cammy was definitely my favorite Padre. I love Ken Caminiti. He was something he else. Was, he, he was the best. And now that I've, I've been in pro ball and I've, I'm around coaches that have played with him or either coached him, you know, it, it just, it just re, uh, reinforces my, my love for him. And guys say that he was one of the best. Such a gamer. Now, as mentioned in the intro, you're the pride of Rancho Bernardo High School, and you're one of three pitchers in the Pirates Clubhouse who were all CIF San Diego selections back in 2010, which is mind-blowing. What's it say about high school baseball in San Diego that three of you are in the same big league clubhouse? It was wild. I, I found that, that piece of paper my dad was moving out of an apartment, so I, I went, was going through some boxes, and, and it was funny. I didn't know who uh, one of the guys on there, his name was Stephen Brawl, and I didn't know him until I joined the Pirates organization. Um, and it was funny that we were right next to each other on all uh, San Diego CIF section. And then Joe Musgrove and 
we just got uh, finished playing a series against the Rockies and their starting catchers, Tony Wolters, and he was also on that list. Um, so it, it's just it, it's wild that there's so much baseball talent in Southern California, you know, mainly in San Diego. Um, it goes to show the, the travel baseball and the high school coaching is, is top-notch in San Diego, and I'm very thankful I grew up in San Diego so I can, uh, so I can get that. There's some great baseball down there. Now, you and Brault host the IMHO podcast together. Rumor has it that he took Musgrove's sister to the prom or something like that. Is that true? Is that how that went? <laughs> That's true, and he didn't tell us until about three weeks into spring training. So it was, it, was a, <laughs> uh, it, it was a surprise for everybody. It's one of those things where you know, when we're introducing ourselves, Hey, this is our new teammate, Joe Musgrove. By the way, I took a sister to prom, it was, but it wasn't in a romantic. It wasn't in a romantic sense. So that, that we gave we gave him the clear for that uh, for that for not letting us know for three weeks. Yeah, better that he got out in front of that and laid that out before he found out about that. Now, you and Broad have that podcast. One of the topics you've tackled is best pizza toppings. Lay it out for me. What is the best pizza topping? What is the worst? Uh, for me, the best the best pizza topping is pepperoni. I think that's a staple for any pizza. Um, for me, when I hear pizza, it's just a plain pepperoni pizza. Um, my worst, we didn't do worse. I was a big anti-pineapple on pizza guy. I used to be really, really anti it. And then I had a slice of it in uh, New York last year. And now I'm, now I'm okay with it. I'm not going to berate it as much as I used to. Yeah. Pineapple by itself or pineapple with like Canadian bacon? Uh, pineapple Canadian bacon, the yeah. nice uh, Hawaiian combo. I got you. Last thing then, the really important stuff. The two of you also have addressed other issues like Nintendo 64 games. How many gamers are there on the team? How many of them truly appreciate the Nintendo 64, though? Well, that that was a bummer about our podcast. Usually we have uh, teammates on, you know, ranking certain things. And this is was, this was the only one in our clubhouse where guys weren't really um, enthusiastic like Steven and I were about the, uh, the N64. So there's a lot of gamers in our clubhouse. Um, I'm not as big as of a gamer as I used to be, but I used to crush Nintendo 64, and so did Steven, which is why we made a, made a podcast episode about that. So GoldenEye or Mario Kart? Um, I like GoldenEye a lot. Mario Kart just ruined a lot of relationships for me in college. <laughs> um, so it was, uh, you know, GoldenEye is a little more, uh, more team-friendly than uh, Mario Kart. Now the Patriots offseason has been very, I don't know, un-New England Patriots? unpatriot-like in the sense that there have been rumors when generally there really aren't any. There have been reports about past problems and some questions about the future. But finally, finally, we have answered one of those questions. Gronkowski is ready. One of the big questions has been about Gronk, and Gronkowski is ready. Ready for the Kentucky Derby, that is. I'm talking about Gronkowski, the horse. There is a horse named Gronkowski that is going to be in the Kentucky Derby. And now Gronkowski, the horse, has a new part owner. Gronkowski, the human. Rob Gronkowski tweeted yesterday, quote, It's official. I am part of the Gronkowski team. Gronk acquires a stake in Gronk, the Kentucky Derby-bound racehorse. Yo soy fiesta! Yo soy fiesta! <laughs> Let me tell you about Gronk. Gronk has no idea how hard it is to get a horse in the Derby. I guarantee it. He's probably like, oh, that's kind of cool. They named a horse after me. Y'all buying. Number one, he has no idea how hard it is to get a horse in the Derby. And number two, he has no idea. Like, he thinks he does because he bought a piece. If you were to try to buy a piece 
of any of the Derby horses right now, you have no idea how hard you'd get jammed. How do I know? I've tried before. Now, if you if you target a horse early on and try and buy a piece, you might have a shot of getting in. But right before the Derby, when everybody wants in, when their breeding shares at stake, it is like the most expensive thing in the history of the world. This guy's got no idea, no idea how hard it is to get a horse in the gate and no idea what it would cost to get a piece of a horse that's in the gate right before the race. And as the great Tim Layden pointed out on Twitter, Tim tweets, Gronk's purchase of a piece of Derby Horse Gronkowski means at least two things. One, more money bet on a horse that has never run more than one mile, never run on dirt, never run in the U.S., and never face top competition. And number two, the walkover is going to be awesome. Yes and yes. Nailed it. My man, Tim Layden, one of the best to ever pick up the pen, and he knows the sport of King's Cold, and he crushes this angle. All those points that he made about that horse, that it's never run more than a mile, it's never run on dirt, it's never run here in the U.S., it's never run against top competition, it's got no shot, right? It's got no shot. All that said, the walkover, and the walkover at the Derby is something totally different, where you literally get to walk all the way over on the track to the gate. There's nothing like that in that sport. And with Gronk taking that walk, it's going to be amazing. Now, again, the truth is, Gronk the horse is a long shot, an incredibly long shot, to the point that Gronk the human might have a better chance of getting in the gate and running a winning race than Gronk the horse. Gronk the human would probably finish in front of Gronk the horse. But Gronkowski the human told Gronk Nation, the blog, quote, the horse is a winner, and I love a winner. When I heard about the racehorse being named after me, I started watching, and I got really stoked when he started winning. He's won his last three races and is now headed to the Derby. I'm all in. Welcome to the Gronk family, Gronkowski, the horse. Now, don't get this twisted, and I've gone through this myself. I know what it's like. Gronkowski, the human, is not going to be one of those hands-off owners. In fact, he wants to be a hands-on owner. In fact, he wants to be full body on. Now, what I mean by that is this. When you get into the sport and you're an owner and you've got no background in the sport, you frankly don't have a lot of say in the sport. Even if you have a background in the sport, you don't have a lot to say. The trainers pretty much call the shots. Think of a trainer as a head coach. You're not telling the head coach what to do. The head coach is going to do what the head coach is going to do. So when you're an owner, it's hard to be hands-on. But Gronk's a different cat. So he's going to be hands-on and full body on. And what do I mean by that? He told the Wall Street Journal, quote, I've never dealt with horses. Let me stop right there. That's the key. He's never dealt with horses. Because then he chases that with, hopefully, I can get a ride on the horse. Gronk wants to ride the horse. The only thing more terrifying than Gronkowski running in the Kentucky Derby would be Gronkowski riding Gronkowski in the Kentucky Derby. Then when he was told he weighs more than double the normal weight of a jockey, Gronkowski brushed that aside like a cornerback trying to make an arm tackle on Gronkowski the human. Quote, 
That's what I want to know. I'm not trying to ride it for a full-speed ride. I just want to get the feel of what it's like to be on top of one. Maybe I'll go for a full-speed ride once I get comfortable. Gotta love this guy. Have to. He's told that he's way heavier than a normal jockey, and his response is, yeah, but still. Yeah, I hear what you're saying, but still. I hear what you're saying, horse person. And you're saying that I might be too heavy for a horse, but quote, I'm not trying to ride it for a full-speed ride. I just want to get the feel of what it's like to be on top of one. Maybe I'll go for a full-speed ride once I get comfortable. Quote, end of quote. You know, sort of like, relax. I'm not, like, talking about going for a full-speed ride. Well, actually, I am talking about going for a full-speed ride, just not right away. That's classic Gronkowski the human. Yo, with respect, big man, the comfort of Gronkowski the human is not the top concern here. It's the comfort of Gronkowski the horse. And I'm going to say that that horse is going to be pretty surprised to have a 265-pound jockey jump on its back. When she used to guys jumping on its back, they're not much over 100 pounds. Hey, look, I'm definitely not going to put my money on Gronkowski the horse in the derby. Hell, I'm not even sure it'll make it to the starting gate. Because it would not shock me to learn that on some late night, mint, julep-fueled training run where Gronkowski the human sneaks into the stables and takes out Gronkowski the horse for a few laps. Bruh. Bruh. This isn't like sneaking some rich kid into the old man's garage and getting the Ferrari out for a spin and a few laps just to see how much power it has or how fast it will go. I mean, you might get that car up to 150 miles per hour plus, but that horse running at about 40 miles per hour is a hell of a lot scarier and a lot more dangerous. Trust me, all of us in the game that did not grow up in that game or have never spent time around thoroughbreds have all learned the hard way, just like you will and just like I did. See, truth is, we all think what Gronk thinks. Oh, what a gorgeous, majestic animal, sort of like my dog. Only much bigger and much faster. I think I'll go up and pet him. I think I'll go up and love on that big dog. Yeah, better yet. Better yet. You know what I'll do? I've ridden horses when I was a kid. I used to go on horses all the time. Yeah, we'd go on trail rides. Yeah, that's it. Instead of petting that big dog, I'll get on the back of that big dog and I'll ride him around. You know, maybe a little jaunt on the beach. Maybe a little trail ride. Yeah, sure. If you want to die, I will never forget the first day that I met our thoroughbred Shared Belief. Shared Belief was a horse that Janet and I owned in an ownership or in a partnership. And Shared Belief, before he passed away, got up to the number one ranked thoroughbred in the entire world. Very different animal. Very different equine athlete. Amazing animal. But a little guy. Like Shared Belief, people would look at that horse and go, yeah, that horse ain't much. That horse is not much to look at. I remember a trainer that we beat out. We beat out this bloodstock agent to buy that horse, and that guy said after the fact, let me tell you about that horse. Now, it ain't much to look, much to look at, but that's a running son of a bitch, that horse. So that horse wasn't much to look at. So I roll up on Share Belief one day, haven't met the horse before, won his first race. I'm like, yeah, look at that little guy. Look at that little guy. I think I'll give that guy a little love. Horse bit right through my shirt, right through my sweater, chomped down on my arm, right through the sweater, drew blood. And looked at me, did it, right? Did it. And then looked at me like, yeah, that's what I thought. 
That's what I thought, human. Don't you ever roll up on me ever again like that, jackass. <laughs> and I've got the scar to prove it. So, Gronk, my advice to you, bro. I've been there. I've been there. Tread lightly, big fella. This is an amazing opportunity you have. Even though your horse is probably going to lose by 20 lengths, it's an amazing opportunity. Man, go there. Drink it all up. Have the party. Take that long walk. You're in a spot that most of us will never, ever, ever, ever be in, in that game. But tread lightly, big fella, around those athletes. They're like you, just different, just even more violent. Because even though you play in the baddest sport imaginable with some of the baddest dudes ever, you have never encountered anything like this. You don't ride them. You probably don't even pet them. Not unless you want to lose half a bicep. But you'll learn because we all have. Tread lightly, big fella. That aside, this is a great thing. It's a very, very good thing. Gronkowski the human buying into Gronkowski the horse is great for the business. It's great for the sport. Because one of the greatest days in sports just got a little greater and a whole lot gronkier. That's what I'm talking about, baby. I love it, Gronk. Have fun with it. Have fun with it. You'll love it. <laughs> Ronald Jones joins me in studio. My man, what's up? How are you? I'm doing good, man. How are you? Doing great. Great. Listen, from the outside, it feels like that draft valuation process goes on and on and on. If I myself am ready to see this thing in about a week, what's it like to be in the middle of it? How eager are you to find out where you're going to live, where you're going to work, and find out who's going to take you? Yeah, I'm very eager. You know, like you said, you know, this process has been going on forever since, you know, started playing football, you know, eight or nine, ten years old. So I'm just ready to find out where I'm going to be for the next few years and ready to get that career started. All right, so like you said, you've been doing this for a long, long time, working towards this moment, but it's still a business, right? You have to make a business decision. So when the season ended and you try to think about what you were going to do, take me through that process. How did you know that it was time to take your shot right now? Yeah, so just, you know, after the season ended, talk to coaches, uh, family, and, you know, uh, I just felt like I was ready. You know, my other teammates were, you know, declaring and all that. So I felt like, you know, we had accomplished, you know, most of the things that we wanted to accomplish. And my, my, me, myself, as a player, I was ready to take that next step. All right, so you're a Texas kid. You come out here to play some ball at USC. You played running back at USC. There's a serious and storied tradition there. As you look back on your time at USC, what are you going to remember the most? Definitely the Rose Bowl win, that and the Pac-12 championship. You know, just the connections I made with people and you know, lifelong friends. Like I still talk to people from uh, my high school team, and you know, guys like Sam, Deontay, uh, uh, Marvell said that you know I always be close with. So, All right, so what was it like to come out here and play some ball? Oh, it was nice, man. You know. Uh, you know, in Texas, we play, you know, that dirty football. So uh, <laughs> I started calling my teammates off, you know, things like that. But, uh, you know, we, we got it all together. We had bottles with Whataburger in and out, things like that. But uh, it was definitely, it was definitely. My a man, experience. I was going to get there. I, I hate to go there because <laughs> not only am I a SoCal native, but, man, my first job ever was at In N Out Burger. Really? So I'm feeling you for oh, real. Man. For real. Like, I don't know if you ever get out to the 818, but in the valley off Winnetka, I worked at that In N Out Burger. So, you know, okay. I'm an In N Out guy. If you want to try and make an argument about Whataburger to me over In N Out, you go right ahead. I understand you're not going to get anywhere with it, <laughs> but, but make the argument. Why is your burger better than our burger? Our burger is better because it's, it's more greasy. You know, it's greasier. Two is more patties. Well, okay, I try to take that back. Y'all can get a three by three and all that. But we I'm better. it's just more flavorful. I'll just leave it at that. More flavorful. Yeah. <laughs> wrong answer, Rojo. <laughs> wrong answer. You're entitled to your opinion no matter how rich you're about to be, but it's the wrong opinion. But you, you got to rep your own. I get that. Yeah. All right, so what about, is it, like, when you got out here, were you kind of making a joke about it? Or was the football softer out here? The kids playing high school ball come to college out here. Is there a different brand of football between Texas football and, say, Cali football? Yeah, I mean, I would say so. But, you know, the talent, you know, is, is still there. It's just uh, a lot more spread systems and stuff out here. You know, the West Coast and Texas, you know, we kind of do that smash mouth. Uh, 
Yeah, but you know, skill for skill, you know, uh, in the trenches too. It's a very talented areas. Ronald Jones joining us. So, what are Friday nights like in Texas? Friday oh, night lights. Is it all that? Yeah, it's, it's jumping. You know, you got the pep rally. You know, the day of cheerleaders. You know, all the fans coming in, and then uh, you know, we we used to have the bulldog. You know, come and run out the tunnel with us. So, you know, it's, it's lit, and it's you know, there's nothing like it, uh, honestly. And uh, you know, those those Friday nights that go down. <laughs> all right. So, when you meet with NFL teams, you've been getting ready for the biggest interview of your life, and you've had this interview over and over again. What kind of things do NFL teams ask you? Yeah, they just ask you know about your background, uh, just uh, where you come from, what what motivates you to play. Uh, and how much you love the game. So, you know, I'm just telling them, expressing, you know, what I can bring to the table as a running back and uh, in other areas on the field. All right, so when you're coming out also, there's going to be comparisons, inevitable comparisons. Daniel Jeremiah from the NFL Network is a guy who comes on this show. He's compared you to Chris Johnson. Now, I'm just going to be straight about this. I love <laughs> Chris Johnson. This guy's one of my favorite players ever. And he made the comparison and said, quote, you don't need a lot of touches to do a lot of damage. He can hit some home runs for you, yeah. end quote. That is really high praise. What do you think when you hear that? Yeah, I mean, I would say the same. You know, uh, four two four. you know, he's got me in the 40, <laughs> but uh, I feel like our play speed and you know, our, our play style is similar. We'll talk about your 40 in one minute, but I'm telling you about that guy. And that's and that was not a huge guy either, by the way. Yeah. But he had that potential, that home run potential. Oh, yeah. Every time he hit the, time touched he that ball, the ball, you thought there was a chance he could house it, right? Yes, sir. Yeah, and he, I know he, the 2,000-yard season, you know, uh, the dreadlocks, you know, so all that, you know, we kind of embody. And uh, he's definitely, you know, a player that I model my game after. Rojo, Ronald Jones joining me in studio. At the same time, David Shaw, another guy that I hold in really high regard from Stanford, has compared you to Jamal Charles. Also, serious respect when it comes from an opponent. So what do you think when you hear an opposing coach talk about you? And then what do you think about that comparison? Yeah, I love that comparison as well. You know, Texas guys, uh, dreadlocks, all that. So, you know, again, one of the faces of the running back position. And then coming from, you know, a coach like David Shaw, you know, that means a lot. You know, that I've gotten respect, you know, over the years after – Competing with them, you know, we had some great battles back with McCaffrey and then this year with Bryce Love. So uh, he, he knows talented back, so that's that's great. Dave, you've got some guys up there guy. who can tote it. All right, so what about guys who play the game right now? I know you study a lot of tape and a lot of film. Yeah. Are there guys that you study right now that you really look up to or respect in their game? And, like, who comes to mind? Yeah, who plays right now? Uh, Le'Veon, you know. Okay. Uh, David Johnson, uh, AP still, uh, LaShawn McCoy, you know, all those guys. I try to, you know, especially LaShawn, I feel like I'm more like him. How so? Uh, just the shiftiness, you know, I'm working on my cuts, getting them, you know, he can stop on a dime, you know, so still working on that. And then just receiving out of the backfield, he's one of the best in the league. And you know, what about Le'Veon? I'm sorry to interrupt. What about Le'Veon? I mean, he just, that guy just goes about it in a totally different way, right? I've never seen anybody who has the, the kind of patience that he has. I mean, can you emulate a status like that? And what do you think when you watch him play? Yeah, I mean, yeah, you really can't copy it too much because uh, you know, somebody else might get ran down, but it runs for, it works for him, you know, that patience. But Todd Gurley is another great guy I like to watch. We're talking to Ronald Jones in studio. All right, starting with Arizona State last year, you had five straight games of 120 or more rushing yards, and you were averaging 20 carries per game during that stretch. Oh, yeah. So how much do you take? How much pride do you take in the fact that you can be that bell cow back, a guy that you can rely on, who can say, "Hey man, get on my back. If you need me to carry it 20 times, I can do that for you, and I can do it week in and week out." Yes, sir. Yeah, I definitely. I can believe. I definitely believe I can be that back. You know, at the next level. Uh, you know, adding weight. You know, still getting stronger, uh, bigger, faster, all those things. So. You know, if that's what the team needs me to come in and do, you know, I can I can do that. And I prove that, you know, at SC with, like you said, the 25 carry, 30 carry game. So, All right, so you talked about your teammates. Let me ask you about a teammate. Your quarterback, Sam Darnold, might be the first player chosen. All right, so there's the real deal right there, right? Mm-hmm. What's a team getting when they draft him as a player in terms of the oh, whole package? What do they yeah. get? They're getting a competitor, uh, somebody that's going to care about his teammates, uh, the organization, the community. Um, yeah, the best quarterback, you know, in the draft, in my opinion. 
And just, yeah, he's a, he can make all the throws. You know, he's clutch. He's come through time and time again for us. So, What's he like as a teammate in terms of a guy who's got to lead from the front and be that guy that everybody's looking at? Because, you know, that's a different job altogether. When you're a face mm-hmm. of a franchise with oh, the NFL, yeah. everybody's looking at you. There's a lot of pressure. Does that guy fit that role? Oh, yeah, most definitely. Yeah, he's first class. Uh, yeah, he's always got a smile on his face. You know, you never see him down. He's never rattled. Um, and he's, yeah, he's a leader. You know, he'll get on to us. You know, if guys feels like, you know, guys are having too much fun, he has, a, you know, a good balance when to be serious and uh, how to have fun out there. How, how does he do that? Is he one of those guys who will get up in your grill and yell at you or does he not need to? And can he do it a different way? Uh, I mean, yeah, he kind of, he would give me a look. Like if I'm, you know, <laughs> if I like drop a ball in practice, he'll be like, hey, bro, what, what you doing? You know, but uh, yeah, he'll definitely get on the receivers and O-line, you know, make sure everybody's. Uh, doing their job. So, dude, if he looks at you like that, are you like, what are you looking at, bro? Or you, or do you get <laughs> like, it? Like, yeah, you, you threw the ball too hard, bro. Like, <laughs> give me the laces, you know, something like that. But uh, the laces. Yeah, that, that's my guy. All right. So earlier this month, you had a, a special pro day because you were not able to run at the previous one uh, yeah. due to a hamstring injury, and then you throw down a four four eight. Mm-hmm. All right. So, what did that feel like, and how pleased were you with that? Uh, you know, I was pleased with it uh, just to be back and to be able to finish the race. But I know I can run faster, so. Uh, it was, you know, a half and half because, you know, I was looking to run a 4-3, uh, but I wasn't as far as long recovered as I thought I was. I was about 88, closer to 90%. So. All right, so if you're at 100, how fast can you go? Yeah, I think I would have hit 4-3-8 You think sure. so? Yeah, no doubt. All right, so what did you want front office types to know about you when they left from that day? Uh, you know, just that, you know, I had taken the recovery process seriously. Uh, you know, showed them some route running, you know, just the weight room, all that stuff. Broad, so, yeah, just... Uh, Got a chance to meet with some teams, too. Ron Jones joining us. Who'd you meet with? Uh, after the, the pro day or yeah. during this tour? Yeah, afterwards. Uh, afterwards, just uh, Tampa and I think New Orleans. You but got I, a I, sense? I think, was there any meeting that you thought went especially well that you thought, you know what, I think this is where I might end up? <laughs> to be honest with you, all of them. Yeah, all seven of the teams, you know, seemed very interested. I had great relationships because uh, I knew some of the running backs coaches through uh, recruiting in high school, sure. believe it or not. So. Yeah, all the trips were fun. You know, it was great to see all those different places and facilities. Do you find yourself kind of reading through all the information? Like, do you go online to see what people are saying about you? Or do you try to block it all off and tell your family and friends, don't run that back to me? Yeah. I don't need that. <laughs> I don't need to see that. Yeah, because my uncles and my mom, she'll send me some stuff. And I'll be like, yeah, I'm, I'm not, I can't pay attention to that, mom. But, uh, yeah, just just know I'm a, I'm a play on the field when it's time to come. It's part of it. you got to school the family up. You know, some people, yeah. some guys love that. Like Baker Mayfield, you and I were talking about him because we saw something on him before. Some guys love that fuel, man. They, I mean, yeah. this guy screenshots stuff that the media says about him. <laughs> and others say, you know what, I don't need that in my head. I can't control stuff that I can't control, so I'm not going to focus on that. So mm-hmm. how do you approach it? Yeah, like you said, you just can't control, you know, what they put out there because, uh, you know, they're going to say what they want. So I know, you know, what I bring to the table and how I can contribute to a team. And I know the person I am, too, so. Just so lay it out there. What do you bring to the table? What's an NFL team going to get if they draft you? Oh, yeah. I mean, they're going to get an every down back, you know, a speed guy with a great vision, you know, and power. You know, I can catch, you know, return, you know, whatever you need me to do. So I'm, I'm that guy. I can take it. A home run threat, you know. And catch ball out of the backfield. Speaking of catching the ball, so yes, Darnold, he flies back for that second pro day so he oh, could yeah. throw to you. Mm-hmm. What's that say about him as a teammate and a leader? Yeah, that, that just goes back, you know, again to what I was saying about him always being there for his guys, you know. And that was last minute, too. Like, my agent, you know, c- contacted his. And uh, literally, right when he got from Cleveland, uh, they picked him up and brought him to L.A. So, yeah, he's, he's one of those guys, you know, if he's available, he's going to be there. Dude, I don't want to make this out to be anything bigger than it is. But, I mean, that says a lot about that guy. I know you guys are tight and your teammates and your fam, and you do the same thing for him. This dude could go first in the draft, and he's making first a point of coming back to throw you the ball on your day because yeah. he knows how important that day is to you. I mean, that says a hell of a lot about that guy. A lot. 
about him. And that's why I think, you know, he's even more deserving so of that first time. All right, so what do you do on draft night? Where are you going to be? Who are you going to spend it with? I'll be in McKinney, Texas at Hutchins Barbecue with uh, friends and family. I'm going to have something small. And then uh, I might have uh, another little get-together before rookie minicamp or whatever. All right, so before I let you go, what are your days like? I mean, now now you're a professional and you got to get ready for this. So, like, your days, what's a typical day like for you in preparation for the draft? Typical day? Uh, well, yeah, after the, all those visits, yes. you know, uh, got done with those. And then, yeah, back in L.A. But, yeah, soon I'll be going to Texas while I'm training at MJP. And then, uh, yeah, just getting in shape and doing all the right things until uh, camp. All right, Charles. so one more week. It's coming up. The draft about a week out right now. 2018 NFL draft starting next Thursday, <laughs> a week from today in Arlington, Texas. Ronald Jones in studio. My man, thanks for sharing your thoughts. Have a great week. Good luck yes, a week sir. from tonight. And really nice to have you on. Thank you, man. Fight on. Y'all know I got to say it. <laughs> Let's go to Green Bay. Caleb wanting to clap back, smack back, and respond, I'm sure. Caleb, what's up? Uh, hey, Jim. Uh, my mommy took my phone away for being sassy on the radio. That's why I didn't call yesterday. Uh, so I'm sorry about that. But the NFL schedule comes out tonight, and I think the whole country is fired up to see how it goes. I personally can't wait to find out if Kirk Cousins will throw a season-ending interception on national TV or a noon game available only on Facebook. Which game will Aqib Tlaib and Indomitian Sue cost the Rams a W by getting ejected for ripping off a quarterback's helmet and beating him with it? Will a member of the Bills Mafia finally break his neck from a pile driver through a flaming table in Week 8 against the Dolphins or Week 12 against the Pats? Will the Browns finally win something besides a conditional draft pick? Uh, hold on a second, Jim. Let me see if I can turn a terrible pun into a call transition like Benny and Wisco does. The schedule release will be more fun than watching scalpers in Tampa selling left tickets by charging him an extra buck an ear. Jim, yesterday left used the predictable, I have a wife, a kid, and a job excuse for why he doesn't call the show. Tiger Woods had a wife, kids, and a job, but he still found time to step out and use the phone. So then he goes from never calling to calling every day. Left, we're not asking you to be the grump. We're just asking you not to be Brad. I think mine and others' frustration is not with Lep himself, but that he added to the proliferation of smack-off champs who win the crown, take the money, and disappear faster than a family-sized bag of Doritos when I'm watching Netflix. And, fellas, that was a cute little unrehearsed, organic, impromptu, unscripted, spontaneous, totally natural stunt you pulled yesterday. But if Benny is Dr. Seuss' version of the Riddler, why does Lep look like Mary Shelley invented Mr. Potato Head? Finally, I hate to keep picking on Hawk, Jim, but when he gets on the mic, is it just me, or does he sound like a confused stormtrooper taking my drive through order at McDonald's? Uh, yeah, can I get some hot cakes with extra traffic jam, two hash browns, and a reaction? Caleb, rack him. Good night now! How to show up with Coca-Cola energy. You're tired and you're thinking of canceling on your friends. Don't do it! Every time you cancel on a friend, a unicorn loses its horn and becomes a regular horse. Do you really want that on your conscience? Instead, grab an ice-cold can of Coca-Cola Energy with delicious Coke taste and reinvigorating energy. Keep the unicorns alive! Show up every day with Coca-Cola Energy. Energy you want, taste you love.